Well, guys, we are in a series called Best Days. Everybody say Best Days. I want to preach a message to you today about living my best days, living your best days. Somebody say, I'm living my best days. Now, you may not feel it, you may not believe it, but today I want you to get your heart in line with that belief that this is the time to start living your best days yet. We are not promised tomorrow. We're not promised 20 years from now. We have right here, right now. Why not start living your best days today? Like, why should we wait until things get better or things turn around or you finally reach there to start living your best days? It's time to start living your best days today is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice. I will be glad in it. And church, I got to tell you, I love you guys a lot. I love this house. I love these people. I love this church so much. And I can say that for a big reason right now, because last night I was delayed and delayed. I, I preached in Michigan on Friday night and then preached in Michigan on, yeah, any Michigan people in the house? A few people. All right. Uh, preached there Friday night, Saturday morning, got to the airport at 1 p.m. in the afternoon yesterday, sat in the airport, got delayed four times, flew out at 7 p.m. from Flint into Chicago. If you've ever flown through Chicago, you're praying in Jesus' name, Chicago, don't mess me up. Come on, how many of y'all have ever flown through Chicago? It, it is not the easiest airport. And so I was there, I was praying, got delayed four and a half more hours but I chose I'm going to live my best life. I'm going to live my best days in the middle of that setback. And uh, come on, the setback is a setup for a comeback. So I'm getting there. I'm, it's 11.30 p.m. We fly out of Chicago. Got into Tulsa last night at 1.36 a.m. That's how much I love you this morning. I got home at 2, 2.06 a.m. last night and I don't have a key to get in the house. I realized I didn't have a key. I'm locked out. Our three kids are asleep. Uh, my wife's in there with our fourth child on the way, right? So, uh, and our two dogs, and I'm like, I don't want to wake the kids up. Mac is sleeping right near the front door, like not, not in the front door, but right near the front door. So I don't want to knock there, and I'm trying to figure out what, what do I do? Do I climb on top and try to find a window in? Do I break into our house? So I hopped over into the backyard, and I remembered, you know, our, our bedroom has windows right there, and so I start knocking on the windows, and the dogs start barking at 2 a.m. in the morning. Ashley jumps up, thinks I'm a drunk man trying to break into the house. She grabs the phone. I'm calling the cops. I'm calling the cops. Who are you? Who are you? And I go, it's me, your husband. I'm walked out of the house. And she was like, oh, okay, all right. So she lets me in. So I got five hours of sleep. I'm ready to preach to you this morning. Let's do this. Come on, church. If you got a Bible, go to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. And this is really a message about reclaiming the joy back into your life, reclaiming joy, reclaiming peace, reclaiming hope, getting your spirit back. John chapter two is the first miracle that Jesus did. And what's interesting is it's a miracle about a party. It's a wedding party and um, they, have they had run out of wine. And so they, they felt like the party was winding down. And, and in the Jewish culture, they would party for like more than a day. They would have a, a full 24 hour long party. It was winding down and watch what happens. In verse one, it says, this was the third day. They're at a wedding um, that's taking place at Canaan, Galilee. And Jesus's mom was there. And Jesus' mom sees Jesus and, and go ahead to uh, verse, verse three. So Jesus is there, his mom's there, his disciples are there. And the mom comes over to Jesus and says, they have no more wine. And Jesus is like, okay. Watch what he says in the next verse. He says, uh, woman, <laughs> this would have been a bad Mother's Day message. <laughs> he calls his mom woman. 
if I called my mom woman, she would be like, get out of the house right now. I'm taking back over the church, right? Yeah, I, I cannot call my mom. Jesus goes, woman, why do you involve me? <laughs> and uh, my hour has not yet come. And I just imagine the mom just looking at him, just giving him like the look, like, yeah, your hour has come. <laughs> if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, right? So watch what she does. She doesn't even listen to Jesus saying this. Like only Jesus's mom can do this. She just kind of is like, whatever. She goes over to the servants in the next verse. She says, just do whatever he tells you. Then she just looks back at him. You better do what I told you to do. <laughs> and so Jesus is like, I guess my hour has come. All right, so let's get this started. Let's get this party going. The mom wanted the party to continue. Uh, the, the party was winding down and she said, we, we gotta change this. We gotta change the atmosphere. I'm so glad that Jesus, everywhere he went, he changed the atmosphere. Like he brought joy, he brought hope, he brought laughter. And in this situation, he brought the new wine. And watch what happens. This is nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. That's a whole lot to fill up. And you fill all that up, the party's gonna last for a lot longer. Jesus said to the servants, fill up those six barrels full of water. So they filled it to the brim. And what I've, I feel this is a prophetic message for some of you in this room, because some of you are walking through a season where you feel like you're, you're winding down, you're losing your strength, you're losing your joy, you're losing your passion. Maybe even your marriage, it just feels like it's just running on empty. And Jesus is about to change the atmosphere. There's, there's, there's a miracle in the making. You're in the middle of a miracle. You're here today and God's about to change your situation. Get your heart ready for what God's about to do. Jesus says, now draw some water out and take it to the master of the banquet. Some of y'all in the room that are super religious, you're like, it was just fermented juice. It was just, it was just fermented. It was just grape juice. Now this was wine. So watch what happens. Um, so, so he's carrying water. And you gotta imagine those servants, they're thinking in their minds, this is just water, this is ordinary, this is, the, the, the master's gonna be frustrated because he's expecting something good. God's about to take your ordinary and do something extraordinary through it. God's about to take your mundane Monday and turn it into a Monday of momentum for your life, for your purpose. You're looking at something that just looks like water. God says, no, I see something, there's more in that job, there's more in that situation, there's more than meets the eye. Take it to the master, and so they bring it to the master, and they knew that the water had not yet been turned to wine. They're walking with a miracle. Some of you guys are walking in the middle of a miracle. Um, he did not realize, the master didn't know where this had come from, he just thought they were bringing him um, something new to drink. The servants knew what they had done. They had drawn this from the water, and he calls the bridegroom aside after he tastes it. And he said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and the cheaper wine they save for the end after people have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best for last. You have saved the best until now. I wanna tell you today that you haven't lived your best days yet. They're still right in front of you. You haven't sang your best song. You haven't seen your best miracle. I haven't preached my best sermon. There are greater things in front of us than that which lies behind us. Get your hope back in the Lord. He saves the best for last. And today in this 11 a.m. service, the best has been saved 
for last. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today, that we would leave encouraged, refreshed, reminded that our best days are right in front of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How many of y'all have ever had a bad day before? Ever had a bad day? Like, this has happened to me multiple times. If you haven't had a bad day, someday you will. It just happens to all of us. But I remember one time, I was in third grade, I was playing baseball, it was coach pitch, and I got talked into playing with friends. And so, you know, I go out there and get ready, and the coach, you know, it's like, Paul, you're up to bat, so I'm up there, and I'm doing my best, I'm standing up there like this, you know. The coach throws the ball, I kid you not, he hits me right where it counts. It was so, it hurt so bad. I just fell over and I go, I hate baseball. I hate baseball. You hate me. You tried to, you tried to hurt me. And the coach was like, I don't hate you. What are you talking about? You weren't standing right. I'm like, no, you weren't standing right. You know, and I'm, I'm like crying. And my dad comes over there. He goes, Paul, get back up, get a better attitude. I was like, okay. And he goes, try again, try again. I said, dad, he doesn't like me. The coach doesn't like me. He's trying to hurt me. My dad was like, no, Paul, you're being a victim. Just rise up. You're going to get through this. So, okay. So my dad, pastor dad's preaching to me. So I'm like, okay. So I get back up there. I kid you not. The coach throws it again, nails me in the same exact spot. Guys, it's a miracle that I've had three kids and one on the way. That was the worst day. It hurts. It hurts. Your stomach hurts. Your head hurts. The whole thing. It just hurts. (laughs) It was bad. And I was like, I'm done. I quit baseball. I'm out of here. This sport is not for me. And my dad goes, you're not a quitter. You're going to finish strong. Get back up. You still got one more shot. I said, dad, he's, he's against me. The coach is against me. He wants to hurt me. My dad was like, I'll throw the ball. It's like, okay, all right, I trust you. (laughs) My dad takes the ball, no joke, true story, throws it. I get hit three times in the same exact spot. I lay over, my dad comes over, he goes, all right, listen, maybe this isn't your sport. (laughs) He was right. He goes, but we're gonna finish this season out. You're gonna get back up. I tell you that story, I don't really know why. I tell you that story because we all go through moments where we feel knocked down. We feel defeated, we feel discouraged, and we feel like giving up, we feel like quitting. And we have a choice. Either we're going to determine to get back up and have a better attitude. Who's in charge of your attitude anyways? Who's in charge of living your best days yet? I think many of us, we are waiting for perfect conditions to finally start living happy and joyful and making the most of our life. We're waiting till we reach there. Uh, when I take my kids anywhere, when Ashley and I load the kids up in the car and we're going somewhere, the first question they ask is, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Uh, growing up, I used to go to Branson every summer with my family. Come on, who's been to Branson? Yeah. That's like the Midwest Las Vegas. There's no, there's no slot machines, just Dixie Stampede, Silver Dollar City. Come on, funnel cakes. Yeah, I'm going back to Branson this summer. It's where it's at. So, um, but every time I went to Branson, mom and dad would buy us matching tie-dyed shirts, right? We get, we get matching shirts. And my, my siblings, my older siblings, they were not into it, but I was. I was like, I love. How many of y'all love to match with your family? How many of y'all hate to match with your family? Yeah, okay. So anyways, I would always ask them, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And they would be like, Paul? We'll let you know when we get there. You'll know when we get there. And I'll be like, I just can't wait to get there. I'm gonna be so happy when we get there. 
That was my attitude growing up. I'll be so happy when I get there. I'll be so happy when I can finally get my driver's license. I'll be so happy when I graduate. I'll be so happy when I get married. I'll be so happy when I'm in college. I'll be so happy when I move out of my parents' house. I'll be so happy when I have kids. And I had to get over that attitude because if you're always living about a future there to be happy, you're never gonna enjoy where you're at. And God didn't create us to live discontent with our life on a daily basis. Jesus said in John 10, verse 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came to give you life and life more abundantly. In John 16, verse 22, he said, the joy that I give you is an unstoppable joy. It's a joy that the enemy cannot take away. No one can rob you of the joy that God's given you. The only way you lose that joy is if you give it away. And so many of us have given our joy away to circumstances and we're going, well, once circumstances change, then I'll be happy. Once I get married, then I'll finally have joy. Once I buy a house, once I get promoted, once I retire, I'll finally be joyful. I'll finally live my best days yet. But Paul, in the meantime, I'm just going to keep on declaring that one of these days they're going to show up. How about today? How about right now? How about in this moment? My best days are right here, right now. They're getting better and better. You have a choice. Everybody say, it's my choice. My joy is my choice. And oftentimes we find ourselves in situations where we have to choose the narrative. I remember when I wrote the victory confession, I was so discouraged, defeated, depressed, angry. I was, I was not happy. I was stressed. I was overwhelmed. My father had passed. Our church was walking through a lot of storms and I drove up to the church. I didn't even want to preach. And I was thinking, people don't want to hear me preach. I don't want to hear me preach. I was discouraged and God said, change the narrative. I had just said with my words in my car, man, our best days are behind us. God's finished with my family. I was saying all these negative things. You can't live a positive life with a negative mouth. You can't live a victorious life with a defeated mindset. If you're going to live your best days, you're going to have to start thinking your best thoughts. You're going to have to start declaring your best words. And God said, change the narrative. And so I wrote down on a napkin. Sometimes you have to talk yourself into victory even when you feel defeated. Because I felt depressed. I felt discouraged. I was suicidal. And, And I wrote down on this napkin, I'm here on purpose because I have a purpose. I didn't believe it, but I had to declare it. There's power in your words. The power of life and death is in the tongue. You don't even realize it, but you're talking yourself into depression every time you keep saying it over yourself. I'm so depressed, so discouraged. I wish I had what they had. And you're scrolling through Instagram angry because everyone's doing something you're not doing and you're not happy with what you're doing because you're distracted looking at everyone else's stories. You gotta start living your story. You gotta start owning your story. The grass is only greener on the other side because you stopped watering your own yard. You go, well, there's, there's poop all over my yard. Turn it into fertilizer. Make it even greener. Come on, make it work. So... I wrote this confession down. My best days are right in front of me. And I wrote a little subtitle right here, right now, right here, right now, because I didn't want to think that someday they'll happen. I wanted to start declaring that they're happening today and they're going to get better and better and better. God takes us from glory to glory, from strength to strength. God calls us into a greater life. Why is this message so important? Because your joy, your decision to live your best days yet not only affects you, it affects everyone else around you. When you carry a stressed, anxious, mad, angry, triggered attitude all the time, 
not only are you miserable, but everyone else around you is feeling that misery. They're like, when is, when is she gonna finally be peaceful? When is he gonna finally chill out? When I first started pastoring our college ministry, I was stressed when I was preaching. I would be preparing a sermon in the office. Ashley and I, we were newlyweds, didn't have kids. She'd come in, knock on the office. How are you doing? Get out of the office right now, I'm stressed. And she'd be like, okay. She'd come back in an hour later, is everything okay? Anything I help you with? No, I'm preaching a message on peace and I just need some time to work on my sermon right now. I'm preaching about joy and I'm just, just, just leave me alone. And she's like, yeah, you need that joy that you're preaching about. I would freak out if the slides weren't working. I would send my notes to the sound guy, the AV guy, if the slides weren't working. I was like, the slides are supposed to be working. And everyone was like watching me on edge. They were like, we need to pray for this preacher right now. Like the slide is supposed to be 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Where's the slide? And it wouldn't be there. And I would just be like walking around, like losing, losing my cool, right? And, uh, and God was like, you need to chill out. You need to chill out. You are making a big deal out of petty little things. Like the early church didn't have PowerPoint slides and videos and they grew the church. Stop worrying about these. Why are we making a big deal out of small stuff? Life is too short to live stressed, triggered, angry because your kids took an extra 30 seconds to get out of the minivan for you to get into church. It's okay if you came in a little late. We love you. Welcome to victory. We're honored you're here. Don't stress. Don't stress. I remember the first time I went to go preach in Australia and the word they kept saying everywhere around me was, no worries, mate. No, no worries, mate. No, no worries, mate. I don't know how to say it. <laughs> but that was, their, that was their motto. And I was like, we need to get that motto back in America. People are so like just triggered. Like just anything ticks people off. We're offended at everything. And then we air it on Facebook and we start our own wars and we're divided about everything on Instagram. It's like, can we just chill out? The world needs to see a church that's happy, that's peaceful, that's getting along with each other. It's living their best days yet. So I was on a mission trip and we were in China and um, we had taken a group from our church there and we landed in Hong Kong. We were ministering there and we're walking down the streets and we're laughing. There's about 15 of us in the group. We're laughing. We're smiling. We just got done eating some McDonald's Mickey D's with, with French fries and barbecue sauce and the Coca-Cola just tastes different in other countries. So, you know, we were walking down. Everything was good. And we didn't realize this stranger was following us for miles. We get on a subway. This stranger, this woman was following us. She was carrying a big backpack in her, in her late 20s, early 30s. And, and then we get up. I mean, for two hours, this person just keeps following us. And we could just tell, like, this person is not just, you know, theirs. They're, they're actually following us. And so finally we said, um, how are you doing? Like, we started the conversation. And this person was like, I'm doing good. I'm just really confused. And we were like, what do you mean? What are you confused about? She said, who are you guys? And I was like, what do you mean? Who are you guys? She said, something's different about you guys. Something's different. Who are, where are you guys from? I said, we're from Tulsa, Oklahoma, Victory Church. She said, church, are you guys like a religious organization? I said, we're Christians. She goes, no blanking way. <laughs> you guys are not Christians. I said, yeah, we're Christians. She goes, I have never seen Christians like y'all. Why am I preaching this sermon? Because the church needs to realize the world is watching. And if we walk around mad, sad, feeling bad, angry, depressed, oppressed, possessed, but then we preach Jesus wants to give you life and victory and the world's like, when are y'all going to get it? All right. And so 
I'm telling you, we gotta reclaim our joy because the world needs a church that's fully alive. And I'm not talking about a fake happiness, like just fake it till you make it. No, I'm saying like, let's get in charge of our emotions. Let's stop letting our feelings and emotions dictate our attitude and our behavior and how we parent and how we live and how we enjoy our job and our life. Let's stop being so stressed about everything. This, so this girl, she goes, can I hang out with y'all? I'm an atheist, but I just wanna be around y'all. We were like, yes, this is awesome. And so she's hanging out with us. She went to one of our church services. We ministered to a group of boys and girls, teenagers. And uh, we thought she might raise her hand during the altar call. She didn't, but the boys and girls, teenagers did. People got saved. And then she said, can I hang out with y'all a little bit more this afternoon? I said, yeah, we're going to KFC tonight. She goes, oh yeah, let's go get some KFC. They got KFC in Hong Kong, Kentucky Fried Chicken. So we go there, she's eating with us. And she says something. She says, I want what you guys have. That's what I was waiting for. She said, I want what you have. I said, are you ready to get it right now? She said, what do I do? I said, you gotta surrender to Jesus Christ. She said, is that, is that what it is? You guys are so happy. You're joyful. Now, she didn't know that one of the girls on our team, her parents were walking through a divorce. Another guy on our team, his parent, one of his parents had just died. Many of the people on our team were walking through pain. They had gone through their circumstances. Their joy was not based on everything being perfect in their life. That's the thing about the joy of the Lord. It supersedes what you're walking through. So I told her, I said, receiving Jesus doesn't mean your problems disappear. It means you have a sustainable joy and a foundation of peace in the midst of your problems that the world can't offer. Like alcohol can't fix it, Xanax can't fix it, uh, drugs can't fix it. There's a lot of little things that will try to make you feel a little better for one hour, two hours, five hours, the upper pills, whatever pills you take, you know, it, it lasts for a little bit. But Jesus is sustainable joy. It's sustainable peace. When you really let Jesus lead your life, you're different. She said, I'm ready for that. We led her in a prayer. She got saved right there. Come on. That's amazing, church. Because of the witness of joy. Because of the witness of joy. Proverbs chapter 17 says that laughter is like medicine for the soul. Some of you, you've, you've grown just weary because you've, you've lost your laughter. We got to get our laughter back again. I want to be known as a church that just laughs, that we just, we're rejoicing, right? And I'm not saying like weird, weird, like kooky laughter. I'm saying like we're laughing. We're <laughs> Proverbs 31 says a woman who fears the Lord, she laughs at the days of tomorrow. Like she's not overwhelmed. She's not stressed. She's not freaking out. She's not angry and mad at everybody. She just, when, when people are afraid, I laugh at the face of danger, like Simba says in Lion King, Right? We've got to get our laughter back. Last night, as I was coming back home from Michigan and, and flying here, it was late in the night, and um, this guy was sleeping right behind me, and our whole, like the whole group of passengers, we were listening to him because it was crazy. He was sleep singing. I've heard of sleep talking, sleep walking. This guy was sleep singing, and he was sleep laughing. It was crazy. He was like, ah, <laughs> And I was like, what is he talking about? This guy drank too much, right? But you know what? I want to sing in my sleep. I want to laugh in my sleep. I might wake Ashley up. But if laughter is good for my soul, if it makes me, I need to learn how to laugh more. 
Don't take yourself so seriously. Laugh through things you're walking through. Laugh through things that are trying to stress you. Let's stop being so easily triggered by it. Life is short. When Ashton and I first started pastoring, we called a bunch of my parents' friends and people we respected all over the world that pastor great ministries, been leading a long time, and we asked them for their advice. We said, what should we do? How can we lead victory well? How should we pastor? Give us, give us the list of the do's and don'ts and, and what we should do to, to be successful. They said, enjoy the journey. So we write it down, enjoy the journey. What's next? Enjoy the journey. Have fun. Be yourself. Enjoy the journey. And I was like, what else? They said, if you enjoy the journey, I'm telling you, they said, if this thing becomes so stressful for you and you're not having fun and you're not enjoying God's presence, then you need to find something else to do. And I wanna encourage you today, some of us, we've lost our joy. We've allowed life to kick us down. We've been knocked down by people, by their words, by what people have said. When I first started pastoring, I wanted a group of pastor friends to belong to, and I was, I was reaching out to all the cool pastors in the, that, are, that are my age, because my parents' friends, they were, you know, they, they were part of different circles and stuff, but those people already had their, their cliques, their groups, their circles, and they were more like spiritual fathers. I was looking for groups of people that Ashton and I could connect with, and it seemed like everybody already had their circle. Everybody had their clique, and I, I couldn't fit in. They were, they were like, you know, I, I already have too much content on my phone. I can't add you on there. <laughs> I was like, what do I have to do to be cool, to fit in? I never thought I'd be thinking that at, you know, age 29. How do I get into your group? And, and you know, you're just not, like, I'm not as cool as, as everyone else. I'm, I'm more like just a simple guy. Like, if you've seen Toy Story, I'm like Woody, right? There's a snake in my boot. I'm a simple cowboy. I'm like Tom Hanks. I'm just a simple actor. I'm going to scream when Wilson is floating away from me in the ocean. I'm, I'm relaxed. I'm a Walmart guy, preachers and sneakers. This is under a hundred bucks right here, right? Got it all on sale. I'm, I'm not a big shopper. I'm not a fancy guy. But I felt like I had to do something to fit in with everybody. And I remember just feeling discouraged, deflated, and I was waiting for their approval to finally feel like I was a good pastor. And I remember after a year just being discouraged, Ashley was like, Paul, I'll be your friend. We'll get through. I was like, thank you. She was like, no, we need to find some good pastor friends too. And and um, one of the ways we live our best days is looking out for other people, having compassion, encouraging other people. And one of the guys who did that in my life was, um, was this pastor, some of y'all might know him, Joel Osteen. He gave me his number and he said, call me if you ever need some encouragement. So I called him and I said, hey, I'm not finding a circle of pastor friends that I belong in. I, maybe I'm too dorky or weird and I'm, my clothes are cheap. I don't know, what, like what do I need to do? And, he said, Paul, neither did I. He said, when I, when I took over the church, people made fun of me for being the smiling preacher. And they said my sermons were too shallow. And he said, don't worry about getting everyone else's approval. Just be who God made you to be. Maybe you weren't made to fit in with all the circles. Maybe you were made to stand out. And, and make friends with the people that are right in front of you. Stop waiting for some people. Like, stop trying to fit into circles where, where God hasn't called you to. Just be who God's made you. So when he, it set me free. I started making solid, I've got a solid group of godly friends right here in this church. And they are the best friends that I could ask for. And y'all are the family that I belong to. And let me tell you today, if you're new to this place and you're trying to figure out, do I belong here? You do belong. We are a family. We want you to be a part of this community. There's a spot at the table for you. Come and join us. Come as you are too. Come just as you are. I want to give you five ways to live your best days. Five ways we find in scripture that God says, here's how you live your best days. Yet living my best life starts with thinking my best thoughts. 
thinking my best thoughts. You can't live a great life with poor thoughts. You've got to get a hold of your thoughts. This is why Paul said in Philippians 4 verse 8, think on thoughts that are praiseworthy and true. Stop thinking on things that are defeated, discouraging, that are, that are bad, that are dirty. Get your thoughts back on what God's called you to do. Living my best life starts with thinking my best thoughts. By the way, when Paul wrote Philippians, he wrote it in a prison cell, knee deep in sewage, surrounded by crud. And it's all around him and he starts writing the joy of the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Fixing my thoughts on things that are praiseworthy and sure I can do all things through Christ. He was changing his thoughts in the middle of his situation. Stop waiting for your situation to change to start living your best days. Change your attitude and you'll start seeing that situation begin to change. Living my best life means thinking my best thoughts. Living my best life starts with choosing the best attitude. Getting my attitude right. You know what Jesus did when he changed the atmosphere in that house? He changed everybody's attitudes. Everybody thought it was ending. God's about to heal a marriage that looks like it's all over. He's about to refresh the wine that looks like it has ended. Whatever situation you're in that seems like it is all over, God's not finished with you yet. Stop throwing in the towel. God's got the best for last, but you've got to choose a great attitude. You know, I was at a crusade in um, Dominican Republic a few, just a few weeks ago. Our church went there during spring break and um, I was out on the streets. We were doing like a revival night and there was thousands of people, but you could tell there was tension in the crowd. People were really tight. They were wound up. There was stiff-necked religiosity, you know, around the room. People were judging the teenagers with, you know, with tattoos. And it was like, it was weird. I was like, what's going on here? We need, to, we need to break this spirit of religiosity. And we need to let Jesus come in and bring some healing to some people's hearts and minds. Because I knew God wanted to do something great. But if he was going to do it, we had to loosen people up. So I came over to my friend, Josh Com. Where's Josh at? Josh, come up here. And I said, we got to get, we got, this, this guy can dance. I said, we got to get, we got to get these people loosened up. We got some music back there. Sound man, we got a track. Come on, Matt, pump that up. Cause Josh came up on that stage. Yeah. Oh yeah. Teach me how to worship. Teach me how to praise. Oh yeah. <laughs> Come on. So as he started dancing, the crowd started loosening up. He started bringing people in. They started changing the atmosphere. Come on, God's got some new wine for the house at Victory. Give Josh a big hand. Aha. Some of y'all, some of y'all came to church like it's God's funeral. You're like, oh, I'm so mad at life. I'm stressed out. I'm angry at my parents. I'm angry. I'm so offended. I'm, I'm going to boycott everybody and I'm going to boycott every store and I'm going to boy. Like, let's stop being known for what we're against and start being known what we're for. We're for life. We're for joy. We're for laughter. We're for people experiencing victory in their life. We want people to have resurrection power in their hearts. We got to change the atmosphere. Some of y'all look like the cover girl for the book of Lamentations. We gotta cast some demons out today. No, I'm just kidding. Y'all are the most beautiful church ever. I was talking about, you know, other people. Um, but we, we gotta loosen up, y'all. Tulsa needs to break free of some spirits of religion. Come on. The Holy Spirit wants to do something fresh in this city. 
hey, the wine hasn't run out. Jesus has new wine, fresh wine. The party's not, we're just getting started. God wants to do something great in this city. We gotta, we gotta, loose, we gotta break some spirits of competitive, crazy jealousy and, and spiritual religiosity. It's not from God. Like God, when Jesus showed up, the people he had to rebuke were the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Madducees, the Badducees. I mean, they were just mad, bad, angry, judging people, condemning. And Jesus said, guys, guys, guys. They were mad because Jesus was starting parties. He was hanging out with sinners. He was different. He was bringing joy. He was having the dance part. Like he was lifting people out of, of, of poverty, lifting people out of darkness, lifting people out of sin. And he was giving them second chances and third chances and grace. That's what we're a part of. But we got to change our attitude because the world is needing a church that's fully alive with joy and hope and compassion and grace and peace. Living my best life starts with building the best relationships. You can't do it without a community. You can't do it. That's, when, that's what God showed me when I was battling my depression. I was mad. I was sad. I was thinking crazy thoughts. And God said, you need to get in community. You need to build solid, godly relationships right here in the church. Some of us are waiting for the church to do it all for us. You can't, you can't expect everyone to fix your problems. God wants you to get connected. He wants you to get surrounded with godly people in your life. I, I want to just call out my friend Tanya. Where's Tanya? Tanya, will you come up here? Give Tanya a big hand because in January, January, Tanya, she, um, she heard the sermon I preached called This Year I Will. We just released that spoken track and she made a decision out of that sermon that she was going to make a change in her life. Yeah. Tell them real quick what's happened. Okay. All right. This year I will. So I decided that it is time for me to get this weight off of me. I got tired. It hurts when I get in the bed. It hurts when I get out of the bed. So one day I was at work and it was on a Tuesday and I had my Bible there. So I started walking up and down and I said, Lord, you said by your stripes, we are healed. I don't feel healed. There is something I am doing wrong and it's not God's fault. So I had to look and I paced and I paced and he said, start from the beginning. And I said, well, what do you mean? And I paced again. I said, Genesis, Genesis. So I opened up Genesis and I read it from there to Leviticus. And he talked about the healing foods, the plants. And so I was like, okay, okay. So I started studying vegan, vegetarian, pastitarians. So I became a vegan. Okay. Not me, not me. <laughs> and so after becoming a vegan, um, I started healing. Come on. My body started healing. Within five months, I'd lost close to 80 to 90 pounds. Come on. I... <laughs> Come on. So everything that you say, it sticks to me. Come on, Jesus. Not every preacher I listen to, it can kind of go in one ear and not the other, but your words sticks to me praise God sticks praise to me God. and God is good and Josh that's awesome but what I do when I come on stage before comedy I robot for the Lord come on come on <laughs> give her a big hand somebody say I'm living my best life almost 90 pounds in five months it's time to make a decision. It's up to you. It's up to you get to decide when your best days begin. Some of you are waiting for something to change. It's time for you to make that change. 
It starts with me, it starts with you. God started dealing with me on this um, even more recently and I, I, I have made a decision, I wrote it down on my journal, this fall I am running my first marathon. I'm, I'm like, I, I'm, but I've gotta work for it, right? I've gotta start, like listen, when we start having kids, usually the wife gets pregnant, but I was starting to, I was starting to fill out. I'm like, I gotta, I gotta lose some stuff here. I gotta get back in shape again. But it comes down, I can't expect God to do it all for me. I can't expect for life to just be per, I've gotta make a decision to stop making excuses to take ownership and to be who God's made me. To be living my best life starts with forgiving myself and forgiving others around me. You can't live your best life when you're holding grudges against yourself, against your parents, against your kids, against your boss, against the people who hurt your kids, against the people who hurt your spouse, against the people who hurt your best friend. It's time to forgive. It's time to let it go. Some of us were carrying loads that God never meant for us to carry. Jesus said, cast your cares on me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come and live freely and lightly. Get free of that overwhelming burden you're carrying of bitterness towards yourself, towards your dad, towards your past, whatever it is. Living your best life starts with forgiving others and forgiving yourself. You can't move forward if you're looking in the rearview mirror your whole life. Some of us were stuck in the past. We're just regurgitating the past. The past was not a destination. It was an education. Learn from it. Don't live in it. Move forward. And last but not least, this is the last point right here, living my best life starts with being the best me that God's called me to be. Who's in charge of you changing? The Holy Spirit can do everything he wants to do in your life when you get in surrender to him. You're up to your, like, surrender's up to you. It's your choice. You've got to make that decision to say, I'm going to stop just making excuses and giving myself a pass every time I keep sinning, every time I keep doing things I know I'm not supposed to do. Let's stop giving ourselves a pass, living a life that's, that's unpleasing to God. Let's start rising up out of that. God's called you to live in victory, not in defeat. God's called you to walk in victory over those situations that have defeated you. I want you to watch this video of this little kid who had a choice to either give up or to finish strong. And he was surrounded by a community of people who would not let him quit. This is so powerful. Check this out. Bring it up hard. Bring it down fast. Hard and fast. Let's go, boy. Don't fall. You gotta stay your feet. Come on. Go straight through. How's that go? Make a fight. It's a good one. Now hit hard. Hit it with the heel. Hit it with the heel. Hit it with the heel. Yes, you can. Yes, you can do it, but you gotta do this now. Look at me, you have to hit it hard though. You cannot hit it light, you have to hit it hard. Go. That's not hard, you touch it. Come on. Come on, I love it. They tackle him, they're, they're so happy for him. Did you notice in the very beginning when the little boy fell down, the other little boy ran and lifted him up? Living your best days is helping people around. You never lose when you help other people win. You never lose when you move in compassion. I dare you this week to encourage 10 people a day. Just like, just find 10 contacts on your phone, just send them an encouraging word. When you lift others up, it, it fills your bucket. It changes your day. When you're not living selfish and self-centered and selfie-focused, 
When you start looking help, that team, they got around him. They weren't gonna let him quit. Beat it, beat it. You've got it, you've got it. Notice that his parents didn't run in and fix the problem for him. Everybody needs a trophy. Stop picking on my son. They wanted to see their son persevere to learn the power of changing your attitude, that you can get through this. We gotta stop rescuing people out of situations where we're robbing them of the ability to persevere. Some of you are wondering, why hasn't God fixed all my problems and just made life easy and gotten rid of my boss that I hate and the co-employees, the employees that I work with that rub me the wrong way? Why hasn't God done everything perfect for me? What if God's wanting to see you persevere? James says, count it all joy when you walk through trials and tribulations because God is growing your character. He's developing your perseverance. I'm not preaching a message to you today that life is gonna be easy and perfect. I'm saying in the middle of whatever you're facing, change your attitude, change your thoughts, change your words, get connected in community and start becoming the best you God's called you to be. Start growing again. Some of us have lost that hunger. I preached last week about getting the eye of the tiger back, right? When Rocky, you know, he's discouraged, he's defeated, but then all of a sudden he gets that fire back. He starts running again. He starts working out again. He starts preparing. He realizes I haven't fought my best fight yet. I haven't sung my best song yet. I haven't preached my best sermon yet. I haven't lived my best. I've got to get out there and finish strong. Stop letting the devil kick you down. Stop staying down. It's time to get back up. Living your best life is an inside job. Some of y'all have been watching these balloons wondering, what's he gonna do with those? I didn't forget it. No matter what you do to these balloons, they're gonna keep going up. Now you could poke them with a needle and, and, and pop them, but I'm not talking about that. I'm saying you could hit these down, try to discourage them, but they just keep going back up. Push them down. It's because of what's inside them that they won't stay down. You can talk mean to them. You don't fit in, you don't belong, you can't. But they just keep getting, some of us have lost our internal compass. We've lost that sense of hope, that sense of perseverance. We've lost that sense of I'm going to live my best days and I'm starting today. I don't know, maybe you walk through a divorce. Maybe you're walking through a painful situation. Maybe you've lost someone that you love. I know how that feels when I lost my dad. I had to get the helium back in me. I had to get the spirit of God, the resurrection life, not just for my sake, but for my wife's sake, for my kids' sake, for the church's sake. There's other people on the other side of your obedience to start living your best days yet. People are waiting, the world is waiting to see the sons and daughters of God revealed. That, that woman in China never would have come to Christ if she would have encountered a bunch of sour, bitter, angry, mad Christians that don't get along with each other. It's time for the church to rise up in joy. It's time for the church to rise up and break through those boards. You can do it, you can beat it, you can overcome it through Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit. Stand up on your feet all over this place today. I sense that some of you are walking through storms and the enemy has been trying to suck the helium out of you, been trying to steal it from you, robbing you of your joy. Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Now, if you know the story of Nehemiah, he was the one that God tasked to go and rebuild the fallen walls, the ruins of Jerusalem. He was attacked at every corner, rejected by different people. There were critics and cynics who said, you can't do this. You're not qualified. You're not educated enough. 
You don't, you're not an architect. You don't know how to do this. But Nehemiah, he said, the joy, when you get the joy of the Lord inside you, you have strength to persevere. You have strength to rise above what the doctor said is impossible. What the counselor said won't work. You have the joy of the Lord to get through things that people say that should have killed you. That should have stopped you. But you rise up and you start living your best days yet. Paul and Silas, they were locked in prison cells. And at midnight, they turned the worst day into the best day of their life. They turned darkness into light. They started singing. Some of you need to take off that heaviness and put on the garment of praise. You need to clothe yourself in joy again. Get your laughter back. Get your smile back. Get your hope back. Get your spirit back. Somebody say, I'm getting it back. I'm getting it back. I think about the story of Elijah. Elijah, he was in a moment where he was praying for rain. They needed rain in the land. And he said, just watch, it's coming. Tells the servant, go look. Servant says, there's no rain there. He says, go look again. Seven times Elijah's praying. Sometimes you got to keep on praying until you see the breakthrough. You got to keep on speaking until your attitude changes. You got to keep on thinking and declaring until things begin to change. Finally, the servant said, I see a small cloud. I see a change in the marriage. It's a small cloud. I see a change in the company. It's a small cloud. I see an opportunity. You got a job opening. There's something that's beginning to change. You lost a pound. It's a small cloud, but big things come with small clouds. Don't underestimate small clouds clouds. Don't underestimate baby steps. Don't underestimate taking that next step to say, this year I will. I'm changing. I'm changing my attitude. I'm changing my thoughts. I'm changing my life by the power of God. I want us just to bow our heads and close our eyes.